everyone i'm Heath, and i'm jay and you're listening to host of horrors show where we discuss and review horror films based off of predetermined themes of the month jay i'm stressed <laughs> this <laughs> this film that we just watches gives me so much stress and i i'm here for it um okay so i remember <laughs> this movie being uh I don't even know what to say about this movie. I really don't. Like, I remember this movie being more of a meme than anything for the longest time. And then, like, all of a sudden it became a gay icon. Like, this this cultural phenomenon of a film of a creature became, like, a gay icon. And I'm just like, where did this all come from? It was just a mistake that Netflix did. Like, honestly, because when you watch this film, you're like, there's there's no subtext whatsoever. Like, you can't even get subtext from it. There is literally (laughs) nothing queer about this movie at all. I feel attacked. I feel (laughs) like I'm bamboozled. I'm not here for it. And my God, my God. This this was a movie. (laughs) This was 90 minutes that... I honestly feel existential about it right now. <laughs> and I, I'm going to let you just take the floor for now because I am just, I'm, I'm Baba Shook. <laughs> <laughs> so we are discussing 2014's breakout hit, The Babadook, directed by Jennifer Kent. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. I've heard when, when I first saw it was in 2014. And I heard nothing of it mm. whatsoever. I was literally bored. A buddy of mine, after partaking in illegal substance, uh, went to Walmart, bored. And I'm looking around, and I find IFC presents the Babadook. And I went, oh, this is going to be shitty. Hell yeah. So I bought it. And, god, Dude, that movie, oh, this movie's so good. So good. Like, not only is it a creepy little horror film to the point where even the director of the 1973 The Exorcist said that this is the most terrifying movie that he has ever watched. It is a creepy little film, but when you really get to the meat and potatoes of this movie, there is so much to talk about. My God. And is there, like, because we're in the middle of female director month i realized that i've realized that there's a lot of movies that are directed by women that you can tell has a distinctly feminine touch or a stereotypically feminine touch this movie has that but in honestly the same way as um a woman in black has its own kind of like touches so I feel like I heavily relate this movie to that because of some of the context, Mm -hmm. except, well, I won't say context, some more of the underlying themes that shows itself as you watch the film. Yeah, well. So, it's just like, I I feel, there's a lot, I have a lot of feelings. Yeah, well, with with Woman in Black, you can kind of get where Arthur um, resents and and or blames his son for the death of his wife. Mm-hmm. Where in this movie, it's almost like the mom hates the fact that her son even exists. Like, if it wasn't for him, Oscar, her husband, would still be here. And it's just... It, man. 
I'm sorry. I'm just trying to piece my thoughts together on this one because there was just so much and my brain was kind of left rattled by the end of it. There was like, yeah, her, obviously there's a weird disconnect, a huge disconnect between her and her son as evidence even in the first freaking five minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Talk about a killer opening. Oh yeah. No, you get the whole story in that opening. I mean, you get the, the, it's shown her hovering above her bed mm-hmm. and it's literally her POV. Uh, not like her point of view, but like you, you, you're focusing on her, Is her while she's reliving the car accident. And she suddenly sinks down back into reality where her son pops in. And she's got to check, make sure all the monsters are gone. There's no monsters in the bed. And she reads to him so he can go to sleep. And then after finally getting done with the book, he is grasping onto her, holding tightly, you know, what kids will do when they love their mother. Mm -hmm. And she is just wide-eyed like, oh, dear God, get me out of this. (laughs) And finally, when he is asleep, she pushes him away. And there's that huge separation between her and Samuel. And after that, there's a title card, the Babadook. And God, this this you. It feels like okay. I feel like it, I got very heavy woman in black vibes because it it kind of gives more of a concept rather than like you have a creature. The creature is there. The Babadook is there, but it's also like what kids it it, kind of feels like how kids can also like see supernatural things or it feels like kids are seeing supernatural things and it's kind of like you don't believe until it's almost too late and we talked about this in an earlier podcast and that's about the same exact situation and it feels like is really coming at play here and you can tell that she's stressed like Amelia, she the Miss Girl is stressed. Samuel doesn't really know how to cope with anything, and he is very outspoken, almost annoyingly so. Yeah, they, like, they made a they did a really good job of making this kid super fucking annoying. Like you want, you already you feel bad for him mm-hmm. because you're like he's just a kid and he just wants his mother's love and she ain't giving it to him. But also, you're like, I kind of don't blame her, because goddamn, kid, could you please shut up for a minute? <laughs> and when it's just like, with the context of everything, once you realize, it's like, oh, he was basically, like, born on the day that your father died. And it makes more sense now that, like, he doesn't, she doesn't really celebrate his birthday because of that. Well, at least that not on would, the day. Like, she what? celebrates it a, a couple of days, if not a week, before his actual birthday. Like, he shares a birthday party with his cousin, but he won't actually celebrate the day of his birth. I'll be so mad if I have to share a birthday party that's not even my birthday party with, with my any of my relatives. <laughs> like, I can do it, but it's also like... Get your, own, get your own party. Right, get your own party. And I'm like, I don't, I low-key don't blame the cousin because I'm like, girl, get your, I want my own party but with my own theme instead of having to share a party with my cousin who's like, who nobody loves because he's weird. And I feel, I did feel bad, but my God, did she, when she got hurt, I was like. Yeah, that was, that was justice right there. Like shaking, shaking my head. Yes, nod. I mean, I would do the same stuff. Like I. It feels like there are times where, like, I feel like as a kid, I relate to Sam, but as an adult, I relate to Amelia, and sometimes uh, Claire, because I'm like, girl, girl, what are you doing? But at the same time, I'm like, girl, I'm stressed. All of this bullshit's happening. I can't get no sleep. I'm going crazy. And then, on top of that, you're dealing with, like, behavioral issues from the kid because of the fact that, like, he's weird and trying to, like, it's almost like he's overprotective because of the fact that he knows that he like he he knows well, the, he doesn't what's wanna, going on. He, he doesn't want to lose his mom. He's yeah. already lost one parent. He doesn't want to lose another. And I get that, it. on on I Claire. Do. Like on Claire, like I 
kind of, I not even kind of, I hate her character. The reason I hate her character is because she's so relatable as far as like people in real life. Because Amelia has depression. Obviously, it's written on her fucking sleeves. Mm-hmm. She has depression. And for Claire to sit there and say, I don't even like coming over because you're such a downer. Like, That's at crazy. First, at first, it was about Samuel. Like, at first, she blamed uh, Samuel for the problems. And then, uh, eventually, the truth comes out. And it's like, every time, you're just, you're a downer. I hate going over there. For her to say that to someone who has depression, it's fucked up. Especially, like, and even, like, postpartum, it's just like, it feels like this is, it is an extreme amount of trauma that she's going through with her literally, it's it's almost like, it's like a life for a life. Well, and I feel like that's kind of the concept we've been dealing with. <laughs> like, there's like a life for a life. One life ends, so another one can begin. And God, this does relate a lot to Prevenge. Yeah, that's what I was talking about last week. Yeah. With, so with Prevenge, it's kind of like the depression of your significant other passing before you even have the child mm-hmm. and what that could go through. This is the depression of you have had this child for seven years and yet you still can't. So the line that uh, from Prevenge where it says the past should stay in the past. Mm-hmm. I think that line equates to this, but in a darker uh, way because Amelia has kept the past locked away in the basement, never to be touched. Samuel can't bring up his father. Samuel can't do anything, you know, look at the stuff. Amelia doesn't even want to talk about Oscar. She has she not has coped. Kept, she has kept the past in the past for seven years, and it is eating away at her and causing a rift between her and her son. So that's why I think the ending is so significant where she has the the Babadook, which is the manifestation of her grief, of her depression, of her uh, anguish for her loss. It's a manifestation, and she finally conquers that uh, that depression, but it's not gone. It's still there. Mm. She still has to face it every single day, but it's no longer locked away. It, it's now, you know, she does go and face it. She does confront it. She has a little bit more control. So it's it's like... As a way. Yeah, so it's like that line, uh, the past should stay in the past. Kind of, but you can't lock that shit away. Because if you do, once it does surface, which it will, it's just going to overwhelm you. It shows a lot of the more, I guess, systemic things coming from, you know, the depression and all of that. You know, Samuel lashing out honestly out of like trying to get his mother's attention and love and having to a point where he has to bring what he ends up like bringing a weapon to school i guess so he can get noticed or something and more than likely because i mean honestly out of a first grader made a crossbow let's think about that for a minute and that's a one he that is one smart ass uh yeah, I mean... It, First grader, like, he is a genius. I mean, dangerous, yeah, kind of dangerous. You don't need to be bringing, you know, projectile weaponry no, to, to school. But at the same time, dude, if I was a first grader and I made a crossbow that worked, I'd be like, yo, check this out. And honestly, even though he's, like, six, and even though he's, like, smart, they're going to ref- look back at Amelia and be like, what the fuck are you doing with this? <laughs> and obviously, like... There's been a problem with, you know, behavior before to the point where he basically gets freaking kicked out of his school. Well, she pulls him out. Well, they want she, they were going to basically kick him out. No, they at wanted some to point. No, 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 no. They wanted to monetize him. They Mon- wanted yeah, I know monitor. they wanted they wanted to observe him and figure out what's going on with him psychologically. And she's like, There's nothing wrong with my boy mm. when obviously there is. She just doesn't want to talk about it. That that's Amelia's biggest problem is when there is an issue, she buries it. She never confronts it. You know what? That does make that little scene um with her in the garden a little bit more prevalent. Mm. Especially with the way it was directed. It was a shot more so my god yeah <laughs> like coming from the ground and seeing up in the sky seeing Amelia like actually happy and you can tell 
there are certain at times, even in the way that certain scenes where were color graded and shot, you can tell where she's having darker days and where her days are starting to get brighter. But then it goes back down to the low, low depression because it comes off as like a little bit on the muted side. The color palettes that were used oh, were God, very yeah. used in a way where you Dark can tell. Dark blues, grays, mm-hmm. just it oozes depression. Oozes depression. And then there are some days like even with Wally's, the little Australian Wally world, I mean, uh, McDonald's, I guess, that you can just tell that, you know, you, you see you see this a lot from her point of view. You see almost everything from her point of view. And you can, it, it feels like it chronicles her mental health journey through color, through ambiance and color. And it can tell, like, in the blues and the whites of the house, too. You did say the set design was a pretty damn good and i oh yeah it, i have to agree because it was a that area is like very god very old very rustic mm. very much so in the past without being in the past dude did you see that refrigerator that old ass like it had coils on the back you circular... know that motherfucker still ruck like still works <laughs> that old circular oh, i bet <laughs> Look, it's got r12 in its compressor Mm-mm-mm. okay we get it you work in appliances man that shit look cool <laughs> we get it we we have your day job you you work in appliances you know how refrigerators work you know the ins and outs of freaking tvs possibly no if you wanted and, to and not tvs it, it's 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 just appliances no oh my god you probably know how like how to fix a uh, freaking microwave too if you wanted to yeah i never would like no like a fucking <laughs> dude a handle a door handle for a microwave is like 140 bucks you know how much a microwave is 200 bucks I'm, just buy a microwave i mean that you, i don't uh, care how uh, good a microwave is and don't fix that shit it is not worth spending 150 bucks just for a single little tiny part <laughs> word of advice from your expert appliance guy if your microwave dies just fucking buy a new one the more you know and if your washer and dryer is over 25 years old fix that bitch the more you know. So you're saying that dryers and washers from the 90s are the best. Yeah, 90s down. Like, even early 2000s down. Like, so, for example, I've I've worked on a, an elderly couple, like, in their 70s and 80s, came to the shop one day, and they had a dryer whose model number was D1678. Very short model number. It was made in 1972, and it was the first, uh, it was one of the first appliances, like set appliances that they got. They brought their dryer in to be worked on for the first time ever. Do you know what was wrong with it? What was wrong with it? The belt broke. Oh, that's simple. Yeah. You know what I've worked on? Uh, I've worked on a front load washer that was only a year old. You know what was wrong with it? What? The bearings. You know how shitty you have to make a washer for the bearings to be one of the first things to go out on it? Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's very crappy. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, new appliances, you're gonna get three to five years before something happens to it. Um, so this is a very roundabout way of saying this is a very old house (laughs) (laughs) that they're living in, and the set design (laughs) makes it so... It makes it so it's like it almost feels like a period. It almost feels like a period piece, in a way. Yeah, in a weird way, because even the television is a small little like I don't know, like what eight by ten, ten by twelve, small little box TV. Yeah, no, it looks like it's a TV that was from at most the late sixties, early seventies. I would even say 90s, because I remember my TV in the 90s that had the VHS at the bottom. It was itty-bitty. Well, I think those were... Anyway, I think those were, like, especially specialized for, like, kids' TVs. The ones with the, with the uh, you know, VHS put in. Oh, my God. I miss my old TV that had the DVD player in it. That was really cool. You, you know- remember those giant box TVs? 
Oh God! Please don't remind me of that. Like before, we no, had like no, flat screens. No, we had I, those mm-mm. giant box things. Mm-mm. Hated it. The hated st- it. Oh. Had to move my mom's. Had to move my grandfather's before we passed. Nope. And the picture was nope, always nope, shitty. Nope. Like no matter what you did, the picture on that thing was garbage. Thank God for technology now. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, this is a very roundabout <laughs> way of saying that she lives in the past. Physically and emotionally, and I feel like sometimes mentally too, and you can tell that that like there are people who are trying to look out for her, but I think because of her depression, telling her like you know, probably don't even deserve it, probably just you know she she's actively fighting against people who are like help like who have the best interest for her, mm-hmm. and well another- that's a very active thing about depression is like you. Especially when you uh, bury something like that for so long, you start to feel like, oh, yeah, no, I don't deserve to be helped because I feel like I'm beyond repair. I, so I get it. Yeah. And another thing that kind of ties into what you just said, mm. her toothache that she has throughout the entire film, rather suffer with the pain than getting it fixed. So that, I thought that was a little, little, you know. So was it, you felt like, one of those things was like i'd rather deal with physical pain because it's less painful than the emotional pain from all of that and no well no yeah. I'm, I'm what i'm saying is it's like it ties into the themes where mm. she clearly is hurting from her grief her depression but instead of asking for help she just deals with it it's the same thing she has this massive toothache that is hurting her throughout the entire film mm-hmm. but she'd rather deal with the pain than the pain of asking someone for help oof <laughs> no i i get that part man this movie is so depressing yeah it really and is. it really is and it's like the more i talk about it the more i'm like oh <laughs> cuz from all of the grief that she's felt having to see her son who is kind of sort of almost the manifestation of that grief at that certain moment of time as messed up as that sounds i kind of see why the postpartum depression is there specifically with samuel because every time she looks at samuel she sees her she sees oscar she sees the fact that he sacri- his life was basically sacrificed in order for Samuel to be born, therefore, it's like when people say it should have been you. I was like, Ugh, it hurts because mm. there's it, a kid. Is your? It, I get it. It's a kid, but it's like, shit, man. Well, she why also, would you say that? She also sees a lot of Oscar in Samuel. You know, from him being so open minded, everything that comes to his head, he's gonna say it. That everyone the, says that's just like your father man and the moment where he like uh rubs his hand on her cheek and she kind of has a moment where she's like oh that's nice and he goes to hug her and she's like holy shit get away from me don't ever do that and it's like damn your son's just trying to embrace you but you realize that's probably something oscar did to her to calm mm-hmm. her down so it oh heartbreaking it is heartbreaking you know what's also heartbreaking? Well, I literally just thought of this. So you know the end where uh, uh, Oscar, well, the Babadook takes the form of Oscar, ooh. and he's having the conversation with her? Yeah. Okay, after the conversation, so the conversation is basically reliving the car accident, and you hear that glass break, and his head gets cut mm-hmm. in half. What if that actually happened? Therefore, they couldn't have an open casket service. She never got to see him one last time. Oh. Uh, oh, that's gross. That's even more so depressing. Yeah. Hey, he, oh. Your last memory of your husband is him rushing you to the hospital, and then boom. Nothing. You're just told he's dead. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. And the even worse part about this is... All of this is manifesting from a children's book. I want to know where, <laughs> where did they get this book from in the first place? That's what I really want to know. It just it it happens. It it just you know it it happens. You know you you got that news story um when right before she gets like the final possession 
like the the final step to her possession mm-hmm. you get that news story of it it already happened once so maybe it's just a thing maybe the babadook is an evil entity that takes the form of uh depression which and will basically never will, gets powered off the grief gets, and all of the negative emotions and, of and that more, person. And even in the book, it says the more you deny it, the, the stronger m- I get. The so the more you bury it, the <laughs> you see. You're you're gonna hate me so much for this. You're going to hate me. You know this. What, what this reminds me of. You say you're for you. I'm gonna slap you. Work. <laughs> no no why would i mention I, okay i like euphoria but it's like this has nothing to do with this i was talking about your <clears throat> top 20 film prize oh. 2018 film oh. that it reminds me so much of that when it comes to the story mm-hmm. and and talking about like how that's manifestations of grief that you ultimately have to live with and you have to live with all of, all of that for the rest of your life and seeing that manifestation come to life in some kind of fucked up thing. It, it, Baba, I feel like this movie was probably the basis for it. But, and also my favorite, one of my favorite scenes of this film is the TV sequence. The sequence where it's like, you have the, all of those moments where the, the uh, you know, you have famous moments in, like, the television history, and then instead of, like, the person that's supposed to be, like, the Babadook just appears, and is, <laughs> and is, like, freaking, um, you know, way just, like, popping up, and you're just like, oh, wow, that is really good to see. He's like, oh, my gosh, he's going crazy, especially with the lack of sleep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, like, I would literally go insane. And I think right after that was the story, what, show the story about, like, someone's kid being murdered, mm-hmm. and... It shows her in the wood. It'll be like her, 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 her. And her turning around and seeing like Jacob's, I almost said Jacob, uh, seeing um Samuel Samuel's dead body. Oh, dude, that, that was so good. Out. She turns, sees him dead on the couch. She stands up, freaks the fuck out. And then you just hear mommy and you see Samuel freaking the fuck out. And she's like, what's wrong? Samuel looks over. She's holding a knife. It's like, were you Ooh. really about to do this? Like, <laughs> it, it honestly, for a minute, I thought it was going to be like, oh, the Babadook is a manifestation of like, oh, you've already done this stuff. And I'm just here to reveal it all to you that you already killed the kid. I thought it was going to reveal that Samuel's already dead. And, He's been and dead this whole time. <laughs> dead this whole time. And what a twist right that would have been a one hell of a twist but i i'm happy that this film kind of got has a more hopeful ending because it does show like you know you know mother and son actually like you know bonding and actually like having a close relationship not like woman in black where it's like oh they have that close relationship but they're all dead. Like, I, I thought it was going to go that route. Where they was like, oh, they're all going to be a be happy family in yeah. heaven. No, no. They're they're a um, a coping family. They're, they're getting better. <laughs> and you know what? I, I feel like stuff like this is also kind of plays out. Because I don't know why this reminds me of Steven Universe 2. In a way where it's like, one life is sacrificed and in turn you gain this other life. In the form of, like, you know, your offspring. And you're just like, damn. I'm kind of glad that things are getting better. She didn't lose her job. <laughs> All she has is a, you know, kind of a messed up leg for a little bit. Hey, and, you know, she got the stitches out. Yeah, I mean, she got the stitches out. He stabbed the fuck out of her. But, Dude, he went hard. Samuel was... I almost said Samuel's my nigga for real. Because, <laughs> like, he really... Like, the fact that he was so adamant about trying to protect his mother that he was willing to do anything, like, that, even though it's almost one-sided, man, this boy is smart. Yeah. This boy is not only smart, but very caring. Stabs I, her in the leg, shoots her with a little dart, hits her in the head with, with her, like, his little catapult thing, I, which, dude, a, a first grader made all this. Let's just grader. be honest. And the fact that, like, he knows that's not his mom, but it's also, like... 
actively trying to like pull it out yeah like he's not trying to kill her Mm because even after he knocks her out he just ties her down and is like mom i'm not gonna leave you and i was like man you stronger than me this boy (laughs) like i don't care how much i love my mom if i think she's demon possessed trying to kill me nope i'm out (laughs) i'm out it's just the fact that his resolve is so strong and the fact that that not only that but he loves his mom so much and i feel like he understands i feel like kids in general i feel like sometimes understand how occult shit could work more than adults but it's also because they have their minds away like open to all of this kind of stuff even and in general their minds are like whoosh even if you take the occult stuff out of it Mm -hmm. like take the babadook part out of it i think he realizes more than anyone that his mom is depressed and I think kids, though they may not know exactly the correct term, they may not know how to express it or what exactly is going on, kids know something is happening. Kids are more aware than we give them credit for. And I feel like a lot of kids are way more receptive to this stuff. And if you give them tools to you know, recognize all of these things, I feel like it could possibly lead to a better life, not only for your kid, but for you. Yeah. Because that promotes a deeper understanding and you know how a lot of i'll say a lot of our generation and a lot of like generations before and sometimes after us we don't really know how to break away from that trauma and this almost let this if nothing was resolved this could have led to some generational trauma in a heartbeat oh they no no if it it wasn't resolved everyone would have been dead then when (laughs) on the top of the death the dead part is like if they happen to like you know stay alive during this whole thing, and nothing was really like resolved, that family would have been so like excised from everything that no one would probably give a shit if they did die. Yeah. Except for the uh, Mrs. Roach. Oh, poor lady. There's I love a, her. Yeah, she's very nice. Um, speaking of Mrs. Roach, was it Roach or Rhodes? I no, thought it was Roach. Roach. Okay, it is Roach. I thought it was Rhodes. I thought I was just pronouncing it wrong. There's a weird insect motif in this film. Mrs. Roach, the dog is named Bugsy. Uh, there's insects that infest the house. Uh, she feeds the Babadook worms at the end of the film. The, the, the sound design, when there's like quiet uh, moments, you hear crickets, but it's like obnoxiously loud crickets and even the babadook when he first appears climbing on the ceiling it's like a bug i think that's why i was like bringing i was breathing heavily i think that's part of the stress oh that was dude that was such a good scene that was a good scene but i feel like that was part of the stress we're like uh, for me because you hear you hear the scratching on the door mm-hmm. and she goes checks on it and it's just bugsy it's just a little puppy he gets in the bed. She shuts the door, lays down. Everything's fine. You hear that scratching again, but it's louder this time. Mm-hmm. And when she looks, it stops, and that door opens, and she sees little the little Babadook fingies come out of the the door. So she, she, like a little kid, throws the blanket over her head and is like, "Nope, nope, 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 nope." And you hear Babadook, no, and she's like, "What the fuck?" Looks, sees nothing. But all of a sudden, from the camera right, you just see that fucking thing crawling like a bug, just ch, ch, and then he just turns around and jumps at her. No wonder this movie so goddamn terrifying. It's fucking scary. like it preys also on the most common like fear of knowing the man, a fear of bugs, <laughs> and it's also the fact that. You can know that fear of bugs also gets translated in the fact that there's an infestation that doesn't even exist. And the fact that because of the Babadook, there's a whole nother roach infestation that doesn't exist in the car. And it causes her to have to wreck it. And I was like, no, not reliving trauma again. Because I was like, God, not reliving this shit. Not history repeating itself. So I was like, what I, she's... So I said, fuck it, I'm driving back and driving away, not dealing with this. I was like, I get it. I get it. Luckily, it wasn't, like, anything bad. Thank God. It was just a douche in a, a new car. It just, <laughs> I was like, man, that I, I will 
I would absolutely hate it if they went that route of trying to um just have her relive all her trauma three times because it happens once i should count it twice but it's just oh fuck man honestly if she could afford it i i really feel like that therapy should have been an option there ther- should have been therapy there they should need to talk to somebody a psychiatrist or something yeah but it, it's hard for you as an individual to admit you have a problem Mm-hmm. honestly i i think if you really break it down everyone needs some sort of therapy but what like one out of ten people are gonna admit it and honestly one out of ten was gonna admit it and but one out of probably like 20 of them are actually gonna do it about anything yeah. about it and i you can tell where it feels like because of the fact that she didn't want to admit that she has a problem she blamed it all on her son which is adds on a whole nother level of pressure to her son because if it was like, oh yeah, you've been so disobedient, but it's also like mental illness can be masked as, oh, you're being disobedient. And honestly, that kid probably had could have had like uh, some form of Asperger's, like some form of autism or some form of like ADHD that probably would have gone unnoticed. Because I'm like, you know what? I did say earlier that I'm trying to kick her out. At this point, I think they should have stuck with the uh, monitoring. I think they should have <laughs> stuck with it. Like, after hearing everything that I said earlier, I'm like, they should have, she should have stayed in that school. Samuel should have got that uh, psychiatric eval. And then with that, they probably should have got her another psychiatric eval because that, it, it connects. Like, if they figure out something was wrong with the son, they can go back to the mother and be like, yo, I think you got something wrong too. So let's like monitor you as well. Nah. That would have been sucky because the way that they did her. I was so, like, jittery, because the way that they did her, following her, trying to, like, get a glass of water that moment. That after... made me more uncomfortable than the Babadook stuff, honestly. When the the people show up mm-hmm. about taking him to a different school and seeing he he's okay and stuff like that. And he basically is like, I'm actually really exhausted because mom keeps giving me drugs. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> My God, they're gonna take her him away, and it's gonna make things even worse. And she, they look at her, and it's like, "Can you get us a glass of water?" Yes, of course. And she starts walking away, and they just creepily follow mm-hmm. her into the kitchen. Like, no, we need to talk to you and away from the child. Like, we need to talk to you. Yeah, and I was like, I felt so uncomfortable because it's like they don't know the context of everything, so all they hear is like, "You're giving this kid drugs, tranquilizers. You're actively putting him to sleep." And oh god, that part made me so uncomfortable because I was like, "No, they're gonna take him away, and it's just gonna do nothing except make her feel even worse." Oh. <laughs> I felt I was feeling so bad for her, like I really was. And even though, even though she, you know, you feel bad for her, there's a point where it's like she might actually die. And honestly, I feel like if Samuel killed her. I know he wouldn't, but if he accidentally did, I felt like it would have just triggered so many more things that I feel like I don't even want to think about it. Because oh. if he ends up being the final girl, or in this case, final boy, I don't know. I, I feel like he wouldn't have been able to handle it. I feel like he would have, like... Well, obviously not. He's a first grader. I mean... <laughs> He's six years old, seven years old. Seven years old. He was smart. He can handle, apparently he can handle a lot. But it's also like, I don't think I would have been able to handle me accidentally killing my own mother. I was about to say, like, I don't even think most 30-year-olds could handle killing their own mother, let alone a seven-year-old. I agree. (laughs) But it's just like, you think about that kind of stuff, and you're just like, what is, it's kind of like a what if. What if he actually went like damn near went through of actually killing her because he already stabbed her? I thought I, I don't I thought he went for the heart for a second. I, I don't <laughs> I don't think he would have killed her. I think because I mean even at the end where she's choking the life out of him, all he does is caress her and say it's okay. I love you. He loved his uh, mother that much. Like she would have killed him before he killed her. D- damn this kid. It's a fact that this movie made me feel so much for a for a child, and I was like, a child oh I hated God. at the beginning. It is a total. It, it it's like you see Amelia's journey, but like Samuel's journey just 
gets amped up because you you think it's all his fault, mm-hmm. but he's just like trying to. Pre- he ends up literally trying to like prevent things from happening, and no one else sees that until it's too late. Well, I mean, there's just it's before even the Babadook stuff happens. I mean, he climbs up on top of a freaking swing set and goes, "Look, mommy, how high I can climb!" And then when she gets onto him, it cries the entire car ride, and I'm just like. You lift- <laughs> Jesus, it is your fault. You climbed up there. You sh- stop crying. <laughs> and then and I just wanted to choke that little Angus Young looking fuck. At, <laughs> and but it's, like, it's also like, damn, man. It's it's like after he gets the drugs and starts mellowing out a little bit, I'm I'm a little more acceptable of him. And then that third act, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm totally with you, brother. It, I I love you. You, you you go, kid. You're awesome. You, I went think, from... you think he has ADHD? Probably. Because like, the way you made any, described any... that you made it, that sounds almost exactly like ADHD. But, like, I never would. I I don't know. I hate because I, I had a kid in my uh, class that had ADHD. And every time he was on his medicine, it was like he was a fucking zombie. I would never do that to a child. Whatsoever. That's like the it worst really thing sucks. ever. And so I hate to say that I like I found him so annoying that after he was <laughs> tranquilized, I got him he was better. But dude, you can't tell me him sitting there just screaming for like a minute straight didn't get on your nerves. No, it did. Okay. It really did. I thought he was basically gonna be the one possessed. <laughs> I thought they're gonna go on some like hereditary ass shit i was like oh god but not, it, it's not until you get more of the story more of the subtext and everything that you start feeling for the kid and i think that's what jennifer kent wanted us to do mm-hmm. is to basically kind of see emotionally see the journey from you know the journey from like oh yeah this kid is being probably annoying to like you understand him now and all against the backdrop of a fucking children's book that shouldn't have been there in the first place. And it also goes into the fact that, like, most people don't even, like, to believe the woman. And they're going to think, oh, she's just going crazy and all of that stuff. And so I was hating it, hating that it was going to go that route. I'm glad it didn't. And I'm glad that she, like, said fuck it and left the police station because... They're not going to believe her, especially with, okay, so where's the, like, the black, the dark, like. It was Ash, because she burnt the book. Oh, yeah, that was was from when she burnt the book. I honestly thought it was from, like, I thought it was, like, showing how the Babadook is taking over her. Well, (laughs) I mean, it easily could have been. Yeah. it's, It's, you could take it both ways. I mean, you could take it as a realistic or a metaphoric. Yeah, I was going more metaphor because, like, I thought she was the only one who saw the ash. Well, I guess other people saw the ash, but I thought it was more so, like, you know, possession just taking well, hold. it's also... Rather than, you know, the ash from the book, which I honestly forgot about for a second. Yeah, well, it's also, you know, she sees the outfit, the Babadook outfit at the police station. That was So crazy. you can even take that as a message of no matter what she says, they're not going to believe her because the Babadook's controlling them, mm. controlling the narrative. So you can take it that way. There's a lot of things you can get from this movie if, you know, you want to. And I really appreciate the fact that Jennifer Kent owns the the, the rights to this movie. So Really? Yeah, and she says there will never be a sequel. Like, she refuses for there to ever be a sequel. And I like that, because even though I kind of want to, I want to know more about the lore of the Babadook, because it's kind of just there and then gone. So it's really up to your interpretation, but at the same time, I love that because it allows you to sit here and think and you get your own ideas of what it is. It's very in your face that it Mm. is an obvious representation of the darkness of depression, but at the same time, how it came to be, you know, has it been doing this for years? Have there been other victims? Obviously, there was one, or was that just her imagination and she was seeing the news report from the next day if she actually killed Samuel? You don't fucking know. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Is honestly kind of goes into a clusterfuck for a minute 
about the direction the film goes but i think all of that was intentional like it's intentionally trying to throw you off course so you wouldn't you know expecting your mind where the film goes is trying to go yeah <laughs> but you know despite the fact that there's nothing queer about this film i'm we're still claiming the Baba Duke as a queer icon i don't care thank you netflix thank you netflix for unintentionally giving us what we deserve but i can honestly kind of see how like even even this is one hell of a reach speaking of queer context even though there's literally none in the film there could also be the message of like no matter how much you try to deny you know if especially if you're queer the stronger the urge to be outwardly queer comes out like it grows strong grows stronger like i can see honestly for me i can think about how, how that can relate to a lot of queer youth a lot of queer people who don't really who aren't really able to come out and be like hey i'm queer kind of that shit and i think that's where a lot of the the queer acceptance of this film is coming from like dragging it into the queer lexicon of horror is because of that you know no matter what you're gonna live with it so you might as well live in it yeah you live you're gonna live with it yeah so you might as well live in it kind of mentality that we kind of have to deal with that's kind of the unfortunate truth of it all so it kind of harkens back to the end of this film where it's you know it's not gone but she confronts it it's there it's it's now mm -hmm. a part of you know daily life and so, I think yeah. that's kind of where a lot of the queer themes could come from. But this is also one of those situations where no matter how not queer it is, you can still have that relation in that way. So I get it. Yeah. I get it. Man, I'm trying to figure out. So would you think that the Babadook is now into the lexicon of like horror icons especially with jennifer kent owning the rights to that see i like that because that's how you know that's not an american film because the studio will own all the rights to that oh, yeah. to uh the babadook all across the whole thing of time if an american studio owned it i'm glad it was filmed in australia that this is a like inherently like australian like creation mm -hmm. definitely at least that's what it feels like and no it's another thing i love is you can clearly tell that it is australian or from another country but it's not like it, it's not in your face about it if that makes sense because like okay with prevenge it was an obvious british film um, a Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. That's an obvious Iranian film. Uh, the Wailing's a Korean film. A Shudder is a Taiwanese film. You know, all these films, mm -hmm. they're obvious where they come from, wh what country they're, you know, from. This, yeah, there's an accent. They drive on the wrong side of the road. You know, things like that. It's but not the wrong side of the road. It's the other side of the road. They just drive on the other side of the road. According, it's not the hey, wrong According side. to Rich Asshole with the brand new car, that was the wrong side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> My God. But you, you, but you see what I mean, though? This is just like, it, it's just, it's like there's nothing abnormal about it being an Australian film. Wow. Even Wolf Creek. Wolf Creek is a very, it, that's an Australian horror movie. And but it feels very very Australian, very outback. Mm -hmm. This just seems like honestly, if you if you filmed it here in America, it wouldn't seem out of place. No, it's, it it kind of gives um the same vibe as like Funny Games, and <laughs> and I once I you found out that Michael Haneke like prefers the was it Michael Haneke? I don't think that's his first name. Hane whatever. We think he prefers like his. The remake over his original film, I think, was filmed in Germany. I think it it just kind of goes to show like how inherently amorphous one place could seem, and I think it kind of gives the same vibe as like a lot of times like where it doesn't inherently feel like it's Australian, but you just kind of know because there are certain things that are different from us and as Americans that give 
that in a foreign feel, but it doesn't really feel foreign. But that's another thing. Yeah. Like, but it feels foreign. It doesn't feel overtly Australian. Yeah. So like, you could easily sit there and go, "Well, this could be British, I guess." You know, is it? It could be European. It could be American. Like, I honestly feel like this could have been filmed at any English speaking country. Yeah, and that's I I appreciate that because it's not like it's uh I I don't know it. I don't like, I hate to say I don't like films that aren't like overtly this is our country kind of thing, but at the same time, I, I like the fact that you can take this film and just put it anywhere. Because mm. like The Wailing, you watch The Wailing and you're like, oh, well, this would never happen in America. You could take The Babadook and go, oh, this easily could happen to an American family. Yeah. Yeah. It, but yeah, I, I just think there's the only thing that's inherently the only few things that are inherently Australian is just the accent and the road thing. Everything else, you're right, can happen anywhere. Yeah. So I think that kind of adds on to is realism, to the realism that this movie actually portrays. Mm-hmm. Like, even though it also shows, like, someone's driving into fucking madness, especially due to lack of sleep. That's realistic. That the only realistic. thing that's not realistic is the physical manifestation of what's actually eating at her. Mm-hmm. Like, if we never saw the Babadook at all, we could sit there and say, oh, the horror is real life. <laughs> it's real life trauma. Real uh, real life trauma and not being able to cope with said, um, you know, trauma and basically bearing it and all of, like, your people. It's like you're... It's like, I guess they're tired of dealing with her. Which is so sad. Which is, yeah, sad. Because especially since it's been seven years, it, that kind of adds on to how, I guess, how messed up it feels. Because you can tell that they do care for her, but it's also like they're tired of de- her not dealing with her trauma, dealing with her grief. And they've been trying so hard to... But have it, they? Not really, but in their minds, they've tried so hard they've put, to put up with the fact that she hasn't dealt with her trauma in the whole entire time. And that's and, it, right? And that's it, right there. Mm-hmm. They've tried very hard to put up with it, not mm-hmm. actually help her. And I think they got to a breaking. It's like everything kind of went through a breaking point at the same exact time, and you can tell like the most helpful people, besides Mrs. Roach was probably people at her job, possibly. Wasn't he? And, it was just that one guy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like that one Even dude. her boss wasn't helpful whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was that one dude, which I thought was... I thought it was funny, but at the same time a little messed up when he was so concerned about her son that he was like, look, take, take the rest of the day off. I will cover for you, okay? Just go, and, go take care of your son. And instead of doing that, she just has a little me time. I was like... Bitch, same, but also come I, on. <laughs> that was so relatable. And then it was also so relatable, but it's also like it is kind of messed up how they literally like she sh- like basically like shirked off all the responsibilities for a little like an hour or two of me time, get a little bit of ice cream just for everything to blow up in her face again mm. with Claire. Which I was like, I under God, I understand Claire in that moment, but I also understand it's like I sometimes you just gotta get away, even even for like a little minute, man. I man, this there's so much about this one that you can take from it, and I feel like you know, I don't know, I I feel like we're not all the way done, we're not all the way done with this month yet, but it feels like a lot of like women directors can give you more. When it comes to not just emotions, but like everything feels a little bit more at enhanced. I, I whenever you have a, a woman or someone who's you know film who has more feminine feels. I think like, um, uh, at the helm. I think out of the films that we have seen this month, they're the most that have taken one single emotion and have been able to broaden that emotion. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with a girl walks home alone at night, it's loneliness. 
loneliness and uh loneliness and searching for that that uh, that significant other that that one that can pull you out of that loneliness mm. that's the central message of that film is just pure loneliness uh jennifer's body is a uh, friendship you know high school girls friendship revenge is Prevenge and Babadook both deal with grief, but Babadook is more the depression side of it, where I feel like Prevenge is the active, you're grieving at this moment. It's the grieving process, and both of them dealing with motherhood mm -hmm. actively. One, having to deal with the birth, like having to deal with like, oh, you're dealing this by yourself at birth Mm -hmm. before you have the baby. And it feels like Prevenge is... One aspect is like the first half of the grieving process, and then the Babadook is the second half of that grieving process. Whereas, like, you haven't really grieved, you've probably or possibly have grieved, but you haven't really dealt with it. Yeah, it's revenge is like you're grieving at the moment. Babadook is you've had seven years to grieve and you still haven't. Mm-hmm. So, these the fact that these movies watching these films together just makes you feel like there's a whole narrative that could that could be said with these themes it kind of makes you wonder about i wonder what the last one was going to be like have you not seen american psycho nope i've only like seen parodies i've never seen the original okay because like i i i honestly thought when i heard american psycho like the actual name of it i was like this sounds like a Captain Bigelow film <laughs> because when it comes to anything that's not quote unquote stereotypically feminine, she's the first person that comes to mind. Yeah, well, because it's Captain Bigelow. We'll get into it next week. Like I, there's a lot I can say about American Psycho. Uh, a, a lot. Um, yeah, I'm not. I, I just can't. we're not. We're not gonna talk about like, it. I can't, I can't even give you like context or like like subtle context. I, I just can't. There's <sighs> there's a lot I can say about American Psycho. Okay. Um. Um. Well, uh, just so yeah. And uh, sneak peek for next week, we'll be watching American Psycho, directed by Mary Heron. I've never heard of her. I'm excited for this one. Um. Let's see. She has done. She hasn't done a whole lot. Uh. Charlie says. Shot, I shot Andy Warhol and um, really, mm-hmm. and Alice Grace. Huh. You know, I also noticed between all of these filmmakers, like when it comes to them directing movies, we they've had like less collectively, yeah, to show rather than our, the male uh, counterparts that we've like explored like prior. To Imagine that. I mean, it's obvious, <laughs> and and also it's almost like Hollywood hates women. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holly, I mean, Hollywood hates anybody who isn't white and, and a guy. So it makes sense. You know what's also crazy about that? Mm. Out of all of the like the actual films that that we've covered, mine is like you know Haunted House Month. It it, it feels like because we we were covering my like minorities so much that they collectively had less films than all of the other stuff we've like explored before. And that's, well, and it, that is crazy. Not, not with women's horror simply because again, women have been directing horror since the fucking, I want to say the forties. Honestly, I think before, I think before 30s. the sound era, if you want to be real. So women, women being behind the camera when it comes to horror, there, there's just some about it. Like, it gives. Yeah. I love it. It gives. Yeah, it and there are a, and there are a lot of female horror fans. So it's just like it's that's what I find to be really cool about it. So plus it just it this horror I feel like I've connected it on a different level than the ones from last month. Whereas like the ones from last month is like, oh yeah, I get to celebrate like, you know, how my blackness and horror can be as one this one is kind of like huh even though i don't necessarily identify as a woman i still have heavily feminine traits that i can relate to all of this i may not be a mother but it's like i can still see all of that yeah. i can still see all of like those 
uh, aspects of it, especially seeing from all of my friends who are mothers. <laughs> now it's like, oh my god, I see it. You, like it, it becomes way more apparent when you see it in its um more grandiose fashion. I feel like so. Kudos to these past two films for showing that. That like you, we need more like that, and and such different strokes too. I mean, it really, yeah. They're painting broad strokes. They're, they're, well, there's they're just two completely different takes on almost the same subject, and it's and in know. different parts of it too. Yeah, and yeah, it's like different time. It's like different timelines of it. If that makes more sense. Well, ag- again, it's the the current grieving process of you know you just lost your spouse and you're pregnant at the moment to you lost your spouse seven years ago, and this whole time you've been blaming your son for it. So <laughs> that other than that, it's pretty much the same central theme. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's taken in a different approach, and I, I really appreciate that. I, I don't know, I liked it a lot. <laughs> and if I mean, I'm just gonna lump a woman in black back in too, <laughs> because it's like it deals with all of like all of that stuff, like uh, not just like motherhood, but like par- like parenthood, and having to deal with the fact that like, oh, you blame your your child for it's, your problems. It's the blaming your child triangle. No, blaming your <laughs> child for all your problems, kind of triangle, the trifecta. It's here, y'all. If you watch all of them at the same sitting or watch all three of them, please let us know how you feel about it because I feel like there's something going on here. There, there is, there is an ongoing theme that we need to tackle. That, that's the Babadook trilogy, right? The there. Babadook trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the Woman in Black is, is the <laughs> Woman in Black's the prequel. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. And the Prevenge is the AU. (laughs) Oh my god, what's your final thoughts? I... You know what, though? I I, I haven't even thought about how I rate it. But, like, I think off of stress alone... Like my if I'm gonna go I'm you know I'm gonna rate it all stress alone I'm getting a five out of five because of stress. <laughs> Hell yeah! Because this film stressed me to fuck out. Uh, I love this movie. It's got a extremely relatable theme, even though like uh, again I've never been a mother. I've also have never had a child, nor have I ever felt grief of losing a loved one in the same capacity that she felt losing Oscar. But it's relatable in a way where you could easily put yourself in her shoes. Like, even though you've never felt that way, you know at some point you're more than likely going to or could feel that way. So it's extremely relatable. It's it's a very important message to get across because I feel like depression gets taken lightly a lot of times. Even today. Uh, I, I, even today, I know, you know, there's things like better help and stuff like that you can go to. And there's a lot more there's a lot more access to things like this. Uh, but no, if if you you do feel any kind of way like that, it's it's it, it's talk to someone, talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. Really, it don't don't bury that stuff down. You know, it, it's better to talk about it than to, to keep it in. So it's a very important message to have in a movie. And it's a creepy little horror film. It really gets under your skin. And I I, I love it. I really do. Um, I don't know. Uh, four and a half for me. It, it could easily be a five, but I'm, I'm going to go with a four and a half right now. See, I'm surprised, God. I thought you were going to go with the five for five. And like I said, I'm just reading it off of stress alone. Yeah. As a actual film. Mm. I don't even know what I'll rate it. I really don't. I think this is one I gotta sleep on. Because I just don't know how I would rate it. But you got my you got my five out of five. You get my five out of five for the month. <laughs> for stress. Oh, for mm-hmm. stress alone. Well, so that has been Jennifer Kent's Babadook. Baby, this thing let me Baba Shook, honey. <laughs> so Join us next week where we'll be discussing uh, American Psycho again, directed by Mary Harren. Um, Please, until then, please just like 
comment, subscribe, like leave that little bell so you can know when we're putting out episodes and our parking lot reviews. Check out all our episodes. They're right here on a nice and neat little playlist in our YouTube. You can also check them out wherever you get your podcast fix. We also and, have all the social medias. Yes, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, and we also have Letterboxd. We also have not TikTok. <laughs> okay, I- I'm going to fix the TikTok part probably sometime soon. But for now, we have basically everything else. I'm not going to be a TikToker. You'll have to just do that. Like I do everything else except for Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that reaction was funny. Nah, nah, nah. We, Pikachu we, we... shocked face. <laughs> no, we we do a lot to make this uh, podcast like what it is, and I just like it. I I like it. Yeah, and we hope we're doing a decent enough job for you to like it as well. So, but until next time, I have been Heath, and I have been Jai. <laughs> You're listening to <laughs> Host of Horrors. See you guys.